passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleOnics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where it is rainy. Uh, I forgot how the rest of this spiel goes. Brandon Thurston, uh, joined today from my immediate south by Chris Golo and to my far east by Jesse Collings. Hello, Golo and Jesse. Good morning. Go Bills. Big day today, so. Big day? Chris Golo, you're... uh, you had a big day yesterday. Is that true? Yeah, it was my 35th birthday. Uh, so I am no longer in that 18 to 34, but still in the uh, 35 to 49 for 15 years. So. We'll miss yes. you in the 18 to 34, the real key demographic. Hello. Yes. So uh, we're going to talk about some things that you'll you'll brief us on in a moment, Golo. But it's, it's only you, it's you and I now here in the 35 to 49, the older <laughs> half of the key demo. <laughs> and now our... Our, our lone, lone member of the younger half, I believe, is still Jesse Collins. Is that correct? That's true. I am yep. still in the 18 to 34 demographic. Okay. And will be for many, many years. Many, many years. Uh, you do yeah. not I think remember when the I... Attitude Era, so, so yeah, I think you've got quite a few years left to go. Yeah. I think when I turn 34, I'll just – it'll be my 34th birthday for a very long time, like multiple years. Uh, so, Gullo, what, what else are we going to talk about today? Yeah, you know? so uh, we're going to discuss uh, Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football and what that maybe sees for the future of streaming and wrestling. We got some uh, results in from the first week that they had uh, the streaming. We also were going to discuss um, AEW Grand Slam as far as tickets, TV rings, all that. But a uh, big conversation today, and I'm excited for it. It, uh, Jesse brought it up, uh, you know, uh, when we were talking uh, off air uh, and through a Twitter chat. But what's the value of celebrities in wrestling? Yes, we will we'll highlight some of our favorite moments in in the history of celebrity wrestling. Um, but I think we'll start with Amazon uh, on Thursday night. Gull, you were there for Monday Night Football. Yes, as the Bills dominated. Would they even play? I don't even remember now. The Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans. Um, but we have uh, some Sports Business Journal highlights to go over from John O'Rand, uh, who reports that uh, Thursday Night Football, this is the first exclusive Thursday Night Football game, regular season game um, on Amazon. There, I think there have been some other games that were technically exclusively on streaming, uh, but this is, this is the big the, the Yahoo first. things, yeah. Right. This is the big first step, though. Um, and this was – who's in this game? Um, experts. W- week one – well, it was week, week two. It was Chargers and Chiefs. Okay. So week one was not – No. On, on Amazon ex- at all. That, that was NBC kickoff. It was Bills-Rams. That's NBC right. always gets the kickoff game. 
Okay, which is the first game of the regular season. Yes. Because it's ahead of the Sunday games. Anyway, this did 13 million viewers when you include the broadcast because, of course, when you're watching an NFL game in your local market, so this was the Chiefs and, and who again? The Chargers? Yes. So in L.A. and the Kansas City markets, I imagine, then you could have watched this game on traditional broadcast, local TV. For the rest of the country, though, you had to watch it. Yes? I don't know about that. Because they're not affiliated with a network. So it's not like like if a game's on ESPN in Buffalo, they'll put like on ABC, they'll no, put the Bills game. I don't know. So so It was yeah, this, in it those was, local markets? This, was, this was on like regular network television if you were in those two markets. Interesting. What I'm about to say is 13 million total, 11.8 million on Amazon Prime Video alone. So there were hundreds of thousands of people watching on their local affiliate. Um, while you were at... Highmark Stadium, Gullo, in fact. Uh, the game was being broadcast on ESPN. You'd think yes. it would be on an ABC affiliate. However, ABC was already airing Eagles and, and Vikings. Yes. So me at home here in Buffalo, watching the Buffalo Bills, I don't have ESPN, so I don't even, you know, it wasn't even, like, short of me, like, signing up for FUBU or another tier of Sling. I couldn't watch it on ESPN. But I did watch it on our Channel 2 affiliate, which is an NBC affiliate. So that's how... It was broadcast in Buffalo locally. You you watch it with the naked eye, though. Yeah, I mean, I was I was in person. It was a great atmosphere, great environment. Uh, yeah, see, I, I'm just to go back to that local affiliate thing. I'm curious because is it like a Fox affiliate that shows them? Do you know that or? I I, I don't know. It might be different for the yeah. situation, but but the NFL needs the local people to be able to watch their their NFL game on you know over the air. Um, anyway, 13 million viewers. 11.8 million viewers just on the streaming platform, Amazon Prime Video. Um, according to John O'Rand, Amazon promised advertisers an audience of 12.5 million. Many predictions had the game getting as few as 8 million viewers, though. Um, the Amazon average viewer is younger than usual. Uh, John O'Rand writes, A general viewpoint among media executives is that the streaming services will attract younger fans who don't watch linear television as much as their parents. Some of my sources wondered if traditional sports would be able to take advantage of that or if sports' older audience would shift over to streaming. The first game showed that younger audiences watch the NFL via a streamer. The average age for Amazon's Game 1 audience was 46 years old, seven years younger than linear TV's NFL audience through week two, 53 years old. So a median age of 46 versus the usual 53, to put this in some wrestling uh, context. What about what is the median age viewer of Raw? Does it, does it, do, do either of you know? Isn't it like 54? I'm going to double check this. Uh, so it's 50s, right? SmackDown too, right? Yes. SmackDown's older than Raw, I think. Raw this past Monday was 54. SmackDown last week, Friday, was 56. So in the mid-50s. Uh, Dynamite is about 50 these days. It was about 51 this past Wednesday. Week before that, it was 50. So uh, this is skewing younger, which you'd expect on, on streaming. Uh, the other excerpt I want to read here from John O'Rand. Uh, Amazon's, Amazon's audience did not grow like a usual NFL telecast does. The difference between Amazon's least watched quarter hour, the quarter hours are in for the, this game. The difference between the least watched quarter hour and its most watched quarter hour was just 5 million viewers by the comparison. The week two Bengals Cowboys game that CBS carried nationally grew by 18 million viewers for Amazon. That's about 
55% growth during the game versus around 80% for CBS. That means that fewer people found the game in progress, which could be considered a surprise because it was a close game. There's various theories about this. Like maybe just the, the friction that stands in the way of you flipping around the channels is, is stronger in the case of a streaming service, so maybe that's why people did not come and go for this game. But anyway, this, this viewership for Amazon Prime Video for the big, first big NFL stream um, did better than many people expected. Uh, so... Does this tell us anything about the popularity, the reach? You know, we talk sometimes here about the value that media platforms are able to give to, among other things, wrestling companies. Um, part of what they give wrestling companies is money, right? They, you know, uh, Fox and NBCU give Raw and SmackDown something like four and five million dollars, respectively, per episode. For Dynamite and Rampage per week, it's about $800,000. So they give the wrestling companies a lot of money, their biggest source of revenue. Uh, however, another big value that they give wrestling companies is the reach. They allow those wrestling companies to reach a big audience. And the big question has been for streaming, including Amazon, is whether or not this would actually reach a lot of people. And I would say this somewhat exceeded expectations. So does this, uh, does this does this make you more bullish, Jesse, on the notion of maybe WWE going to Amazon or anything like that? I mean, it definitely does. I think something we've learned over the years is that nothing really moves television like pro football, and in some ways, I think football can is hard to compare uh, with anything else that exists on television because people will be willing to do things to watch football that they wouldn't be willing to do to watch many other programs. And in some ways, I don't know, while football is the biggest entity we have on television and therefore provides kind of like an obvious subject to look at when it comes to people converting from linear television to streaming. I wonder that if it's size makes it such a, um, uh, an extreme factor in its popularity that, you can't really compare it to any other form of television. The 13 million, right? That's that's about what Monday Night Football does. What's what's about what Sunday Night Football does, right? 13 million. So I, I I looked into this, and this is data that I found on SportsMediaWatch.com, which is a good a good place to go for sports uh, TV ratings. Um, this so 11.8. So I subtracted out the broadcast. So let's think about just what was on Amazon. Uh, and this was above anything that, that the NFL network did. The NFL network is a kind of a more obscure cable network than ESPN would be. Uh, but this is well above what, what any of the four games last year did that were just on the NFL network. Uh, on par with one of the cases where the Thursday Night Football game was on both the NFL network and on Fox. Most of them were on Fox and the NFL network simultaneously uh, combined last year. Most of them almost all of them did better than this lone uh, Amazon broadcasted, but, but still like pretty, pretty, pretty competitive with it. Yeah. Um, And, and the other thing is interesting is that the Amazon prime as a streaming service. I think we've discussed this before is a streaming service that a lot of people have access to, but not that many people actually watch, Mm -hmm. which makes it kind of an interesting player in the sense that because it's tied in with 
Amazon's, you know, delivery service and many, many, many people subscribe to it for that and don't care at all about the video streaming service. People, a lot of people have access to it um, and might be watching for the first time as opposed to a service like Peacock or Paramount Plus um, or even Disney Plus or ESPN Plus in that many people don't necessarily, um, if people subscribe to that, they're probably watching it all the time. It's not like some super flores extra thing that they never access yeah and i do think that's kind of interesting if we're going to look at potential wwe partners is it going to be a wwe streaming server if, if one of the raw or smackdowns were to go exclusive to a streamer um i don't know if peacock is the streamer that you'd want to have that on but yeah. maybe it doesn't i mean for wwe does it matter does the does the reach really matter for wwe at this point or or are they just content with their existing fan base and looking to leverage that fan base for more and more money, which is usually what they do as opposed to creating a larger fan base? I think the reach does matter. But when you've got – and this is sort of like the argument that I make about Dynamite and Rampage. Maybe Dynamite's keep it on a TBS. Maybe Rampage sell to a streaming player would give you more money than you would get for it on a traditional network. But when, in W's case, when you've got Raw SmackDown, Maybe that offers them some flexibility in terms of they can you know sell one of those to to a traditional TV platform and still reach the whatever the, the 75, 80 million people who still have cable in their homes and then maybe they can get paid really well to be on Amazon Prime Video or whatever it might be and get paid you know really well to be on that platform but not get the reach but also maybe touch some people who you went, you're not touching by being on traditional TV. Um, but yeah, I think. It, Prime Video is weird in that the 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 reaches reaches a weird thing in their case, I think, right? Because I don't know what the number is of of homes that have Amazon Prime, but it's a lot. And as you mentioned, it's it's a lot of in, in most cases, what people are subscribing to it for is less so the streaming platform and more so the discount that they get on shipping. Um, yes, for retail. So it's. And we don't know a lot of data about how much people are really using Prime Video, but it's pretty clear to me that it's less popular in use than Netflix. And actually, we do get a little bit through through the Nielsen um, gauge data that comes out. Uh, and so it's probably a lot less than Netflix, probably a lot, a lot less than YouTube even, probably less than uh, Disney+. Plus. But, uh, yeah, go. Is there any like data out there i mean they, i would imagine being a public trade company they have something like that of subscription growth for amazon prime like we'll probably have to wait a little bit to see how this goes because as you guys are saying most people just have it for the shipping i wonder if this is really actually drawing them in new subscribers at a, a decent number and i and i say that too with like what is amazon prime want to bring would they think wrestling would actually draw a lot of subscribers or would be more beneficial to another streamer like i'm interested to see how apple does like if they the rumor is they're going to get the uh the nfl sunday ticket (laughs) if they get that and i think they're going to have huge growth because i don't know a lot of people have apple tv uh compared to amazon right so the if we look at let's see here i'm gonna put the, the gauge uh, stat on the screen here. If we look at this, everybody can see this now, right? Um, where where does Amazon Prime Video lie in in the big picture of streaming? Um, it's three percent. This was in July. I think this is the most recent. They might have put out August by now. But anyway, it was three percent of all streaming activity. 
um, I guess, all watch time activity, actually, which includes broadcast, television, cable, and other, which might include gaming and things like that. But, but anyway, Prime Video was behind Hulu, behind YouTube, behind Netflix. It was ahead of, though, it was ahead of Disney+, Plus, and it was ahead of HBO Max. Um, so people are using it a fair amount. Um, but anyway, what, what, what was your, your, your question? Like the, the streaming subscriptions, the number? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I'm in, I mean, it's probably too early to even look at that data. Cause we're only two weeks in the NFL games there, but I'm interested in to see. Of, does it add people? Yeah. Is it going to add people for them? Like, because there's such a big service that millions know, like, of homes have already. Like one of the questions is like, aren't they kind of fully saturated? Like is, is, adding great content for Amazon really going to add subscribers or is there some other end yeah. game is, is part of the end game to just get people to buy more products or is the end game to sell advertising? There's probably in, in the case of Netflix, their game is to sell subscriptions. Uh, Peacock has still got a lot of subscriptions to sell. They're not even on this chart. Uh, but, but Amazon has got a lot of subscribers already. And you know, there's, there's other, revenues that i guess they're trying to exploit other than subscriptions yeah. specifically for their video but that they, having yeah. nfl supports but if they don't see substantial growth i can't see them throwing hundreds of millions a year to a wrestling company it also serves there's also a theory that it serves as an icebreaker to certain people who maybe have been resistant to signing up for streaming services or using streaming services um the NFL is something that's so important to people, especially if your team is playing. And one of the good things about Thursday night football is that every single team has to play on Thursday night so that every team, no matter who your team is, if you want to watch uh, your team's game, you have to get Amazon prime um, unless you're in market. Is that but, true that there's no NFL team that's not playing on Thursday night? No, because the way this, the, the way the schedule works, I think is it has to be because they can't no team. I think some teams maybe have more than one Thursday game, but yeah. um, for for the most part, like because the way the NFL scheduling works, the same team can't play on Thursday nights like back to back, basically. So I, it might not be true, but I mean, there's some terrible Thursday night football games coming up, and it's because every team has to be on it. So it's um, you're you're kind you're kind of right, Jesse. Every team has to have, gets a primetime game. It's just most of the garbage teams they stick on Thursday night. That's right. the deal. Uh, so. Thursday night is is the C show. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and so this service is a kind of an icebreaker where you're not necessarily, maybe you're not even adding that many new subscribers to watch it, but you're also teaching people how to use Amazon Prime and how to function with it. And that um, is a way to kind of sell the product and get them more comfortable using it for other things in the future, not just watching the NFL. Um did you guys were you guys aware of the Red Sox and Yankees game on Friday night being on Apple Plus? I, I was uh, our, our attorney general here in New York State was not happy about the fact that it was right. on Amazon. Uh, it was on Apple TV. Uh, did I say I Apple? Did I say Amazon? What did I say? Uh, Apple I Plus. It was on Apple, Apple Plus. Apple TV Plus. <laughs> so it was on Apple uh, TV. So so for people who don't know, Apple TV signed uh, a big deal with Major League Baseball this year to get uh, a certain number of games shown live uh, on Apple TV. Um, They've been doing these Friday night games and they got, um, it just so happens that this Friday they got a Red Sox and Yankees game where Aaron Judge, who plays for the Yankees, is one home run away from tying the American League record for most home runs in a season. And in some people, the real spiritual um, single season home run record. 
Um, and so this was a huge game and people locally in the local markets couldn't watch it except that it was on Apple TV. It wasn't going to be on the normal Yankee network. It wasn't going to be on the normal Red Sox network. Yes, network, which, yes. which I think we get cable subscribers getting in Buffalo. Yeah. 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 So what happened was there was a kind of debate saying people, well, it's unfair to Yankee fans that – they're not going to be – they might not be able to see this great moment because they have to get Apple TV and it should be on locally. Um, and it was interesting but it was free. Kind of but it was on Apple TV for free. You did not yes, need that was my other point was that okay. it was on Apple TV for free. All you had to do was have an Apple account or sign up for an account. You didn't have to pay anything. Um, I actually – I don't have Apple TV. Um, I have an old Apple account from when I was an iPhone user. And for like the first time in years, I plugged it in to, to watch the game because um, I want to see it. And, um, but what it also served because it was free as also kind of an icebreaker for now I've logged into Apple TV. Now I have a login. I don't pay for it yet, but I've already kind of taken a step forward. And perhaps if something else emerges that I really want to watch that I have to pay for, I'm already kind of there. And I'm sure a lot of people You're kind of one step experience closer that to the Apple ecosystem. They'll, they'll have you buy it an iPhone in no time. And it's I will not I will never buy an iPhone again. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, you're t- Team Android, Jesse. Yeah, Team Android. Okay. What? So Why? Without getting too, without getting too far into the weeds on this, it has very little to do with the actual product and everything to do with the kind of service I've gotten at the Apple Store. A couple of green textures here, huh? <laughs> um, I, I I had so so I but anyway, the point is is that this was an icebreaker for Apple TV, and it also by putting it on for free got people kind of used to using the product and it's the and that while there was a debate about oh is it fair to consumers that they are missing this very important very particular game if it was just any other game people wouldn't really be up in arms that you could only watch it on apple tv but that's exactly what apple tv is paying for they're hoping that when they got red Sox and yankees late in the season it would be a very very important game it actually isn't a very important game because the red Sox suck but it was an important game because Aaron Judge happens to be chasing this home run record. Um, and that's the kind of purchase you see these big streamers. That's exactly what they want is an exact moment like that. Um, and that's what Amazon Prime is going to want. Now, baseball's viewership is not as consistent as the NFL's where almost any NFL regular season game is going to do big ratings. But this was a huge win for Apple TV. Um, and it was very interesting to kind of see the debate about whether it was fair or not to put it on uh, a streamer and not have it available locally anywhere. Um, and that's probably going to be a factor going forward is that eventually these games might be more streaming exclusive and people are going to have to sign up for them if they want to see them. And people are going to have to get used to that. So anyway, we've, uh, we can touch on it. We, we talked about it um, last uh, Thursday, Thursday, the Thursday 30. Um, SmackDown is staying on Hulu. Raw, I haven't looked. It is now Sunday, so presumably the the raw access on Hulu has expired, um, and that's going to probably be negotiated and dealt in in conjunction with their live rights that are probably going to be dealt sometime next year. Uh, so, is this strange to you, Brandon, that they didn't have the sh- the next day streaming deal like already lined up? Because it's been talked about for a while about. The next day rights are going to be announced like soon or they're working on them. But now that the deals have expired, is it weird that they're kind of in this gray area where they don't have the next deal lined up? No, because I think they're I think they're they're in a better position to negotiate 
with, say, Amazon, and, and because what, what rights, if they made a deal now with, let's say, Hulu or, or even Peacock, if they go to Amazon, and obviously I don't know this, I'm just speculating, but if they go to Amazon and say, all right, do you want to buy rights to Raw? Um, and, and Amazon says, well, maybe, but, but we only get the live broadcast and we don't get the, the VOD. We don't, if, if you, I think if, if Amazon is going to buy W core content rights, and I guess the SmackDown still lines up, but raw does not, but if they're going to buy, if Amazon is, or Apple TV, which I doubt but if Amazon is going to bid for raw, I think they want to be able to not only broadcast it live, but also broadcast the video on demand, which they would probably get for 30 days. And I think it's a lot less valuable to them if they can only bid on the live broadcast that goes away the instant uh, it's 11 o'clock and it's no longer being streamed live. Yeah, no, that makes sense. No, it makes sense to me. I was just curious to know uh, that it seems weird that that they would expire without really a game plan going forward but if it's all part of a broader plan to tie them into the general rights negotiations then it makes sense yeah. and, I, and i don't get the sense of like the hulu rights are are this huge financial deal for wwe um, aren't they expected weren't they wasn't kind of discussed like they're going to see a true. big increase in next day rights yeah. because this this was hyped yes that they were that there was a lot of interest um but we'll see i guess like i don't know maybe, maybe even if let's say Raw buys buys the rights to to raw or to uh, Amazon buys the rights to Raw in in spring next year. Maybe they could get VOD on there immediately before before the live rights come, go into effect. That that seems plausible to me because there's no reason why not. If, if if nobody owns those rights, there's no reason why why Amazon couldn't have the Hulu rights for the year and a half in advance of them getting the live rights, which would be maybe even a a good strategy in in terms of teaching wrestling fans, you know, WWE fans to start to consume, start to go to Amazon for their next day rights. And then, oh, then it's going to be live on, on, on Prime Video in September, October 2024. That seems plausible to me. Um, but yeah, and then we, we discussed Thursday as well that AEW has talked with DAZN about possibly having a media rights deal. They, they discussed having a media rights deal in the UK. That did not uh, happen. But maybe there's other streaming deals that they can make with you know between AW and DAZN in the future. So, and by the way, if people want to participate, Golo, how, how do they do that? Yeah. So uh, while you're watching on YouTube, you see uh, where you can uh, say something. There's a little dollar sign right under it. So you ask a super chat question, put whatever amount you see fit, and. We'll answer them uh, as, as when we should in the show, and we'll mostly answer most of them at the end of the show. We'll, we'll, we'll do this one now. Just uh, okay. MJ from MJ, just honoring the fashion choices that I'm making today. MJ from MJ says, Brandon with the classic hoodie over shirt and tie wardrobe. I, I always forget that. I, I do sometimes put on a hoodie because I'm like making coffee and stuff, and I don't want to spill on, on, on myself, and then I just forget and I leave it on. Uh, this is MJ from. Is that is that why you're wearing is that why you're wearing the hoodie because you didn't want to spill coffee on yourself? Yes, and it's kind of cold out today. I was gonna say this is yeah. the classic. My house is very cold weather because it's kind of chilly outside, but it's too early in the year and not cold enough to actually put on any heat. So you, yes. this is when I'm actually like gonna be the coldest like indoors all year. Yes. Um. So let's see here. Uh, the we usually don't talk about this because. It's going to be finalized on Monday by the time most people listen to this. But um, the Fast Affiliate for SmackDown came out yesterday. 
uh, and it was really high. If it was 2.385 million viewers on a fast affiliate, if you usually it's about 5% higher for the final, looking like 2.5 million viewers possibly for the final. I don't, I don't believe that there's any real preemptions here that are going to adjust this down like it like was the case when there was NFL preseason going on in various markets on Fox. I think there were just two small markets that were broadcasting high school football in like the West Virginia and tri-state area. So not something, and that's happened recently too, and, and that's not something that dramatically affects the fast affiliate. So this could be the biggest SmackDown viewership since 2020. The, the December 25th SmackDown of 2020, which had an NFL lead and had like 3.3 mil, 3 million viewers or something, you know, because they had a huge audience with, uh, coming off of an NFL football game. But even before that, I think March 2020. So we'd be, we could be seeing the biggest genuine number since like just before the pandemic, maybe. We'll see. We'll see on Monday, though. Um, but uh, I know we'll, 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 we'll get into uh, what, what is coming up here. Uh, Jesse suggested an excellent topic. Uh, we'll talk about Logan Paul, but, but also... I know Jesse wanted to acknowledge his tribal chief, I think, today, alongside the likes of Pedro Morales, Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund, and some guy named Hulk Hogan. Um, we've got a big match coming up here on, what is this, October uh, October 4th, 5th? When is it? November no, 5th? No, this is November 5th. November, November 5th. Yep. Yes. With Logan Paul and Roman Reigns, wrestler versus celebrity. How excited are you, are you guys for this? I mean, the shows being on Saturday afternoon make them very sk- easy to skip. I'd be much more likely to watch it if it was Sunday. If it was Sunday night and there was like the the Sunday night football game was a dud, I'd be more tempted to turn it on, although probably unlikely still. But the fact that these are just on Saturday afternoons, I can just immediately like live my life and forget them makes them the that much makes the Saudi Arabia show so easy to skip. Is there's zero temptation to watch them because they're always on like just during the day when I'm doing stuff. Um. If we compare, at least in Google Trends, if Google, what, are, what does Google Trends mean? I think it's a good indication of name recognition. Um, in the world of, of W personalities, among those who actually appear on television with any regularity, Roman Reigns is by, by a pretty strong margin, number one. Uh, number two would be Brock Lesnar, but Logan Paul does land right in between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for web search worldwide for what what that's worth um i know you you wanted to just you want to tell us why why you wanted to look at web search for uh for logan paul which we will look at in depth in a second well i only want to look at it because it was mentioned we were talking about topics potentially to talk about on the show and i was reading um the wrestling observer newsletter this week um and dave mentioned that logan paul hadn't cracked um google trends the way he normally does um, for this announcement over Roman Reigns and kind of the hype around his appearance on SmackDown and things like that. Um, and Dave was saying, you know, because Logan Paul is such a big internet celebrity, anytime he kind of does something, his his name will, will pop up in the Google Trends. And he noticed that it didn't. And does that show that Logan Paul's celebrity is waning? Does that show that people don't really care about him wrestling Roman Reigns? People don't care about the Crown Jewel show? Um, I wrote an article for wrestling, wrestlingomics.com this week, kind of looking, talking about 
the kind of why Logan Paul is wrestling Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel specifically. And it's centers around the concept that the Saudi government and the Saudi Crown Prince or whoever wants to have Roman Reigns wrestle a big famous celebrity because that will get the most people talking about the event in Saudi Arabia, which is what the focus, the reason that show is taking place in Saudi Arabia in the first place. And the reason Saudi Arabia is paying WWE for the big show is so people around the world will be watching the event and noticing that it's in Saudi Arabia and think that Saudi Arabia is a cool place um, where cool things happen like Roman Reigns versus Logan Paul. Um, So it's interesting to see, like, does this really attract mainstream media attention in a way that Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre or Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens or Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins or an, a, a regular WWE star um, would have because that's why you would do a celebrity match would be to raise the profile of the of the, of the event in the match not necessarily because you expect it to be a great wrestling match or that the wrestling fans themselves really want to see it. So how much does WWE get paid for each show that they do in Saudi Arabia? We're estimated, I believe, around $50 million. Yeah, 50, yeah. $50 million. And they do how many shows a year in Saudi Arabia if there's not a pandemic in the way? Two, right? Two. That, that would be $100 million a year. But how, how much revenue does, does W make in a full year? Does anybody know? Um, revenue? Yep. It's like seven, $800 million. Them. They did $1.1 billion dollars yeah, this past <laughs> calendar year. Uh, I'm, I'm estimating that they'll make like $1.3 billion. So this would be, you know, what, any, anywhere between what, what is what is 100 million out of 1.3? Uh, that is 100 divided by 100. But that's 7.5% of their revenue. So that's pretty, that's definitely material. Um, they get a lot of money for this. Uh, and it's, you know, that's like three WrestleManias in terms of live event revenue. Uh, this is to, you know, to do shows in Saudi Arabia, like you said, Jesse, and, and make it look like. Have, have you ever watched one of those shows, though? It looks like it looks like a regular American wrestling event. What's the big so deal? I, I've seen a, I saw the greatest Royal Rumble, the first show. But, and I have yeah. watched, I, I believe I've watched the undertaker um goldberg match um because it was just such a dog that i had to watch it um and i want to say i don't know if i watched the uh the dx versus undertaker and kane match I, I it's hard for me to remember if i've seen just like gifs and little highlight videos or if i actually sat down and watched the whole match but i those those shows i think are are very easy for me to skip um because I don't have a particular interest in them and they make it easier for me to get up on my soapbox and say they shouldn't be doing the Saudi Arabia shows. Yeah. But just, just to remind people what, what, what the deal is here, they're being paid a huge amount of money to do shows in Saudi Arabia for a government that W tries to spin it as, as if they're being part of the change. At first they weren't allowed to do any women's matches. Now they've they have done women's matches. They spin it as look, look, we're helping Saudi Arabia become this more progressive country. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia uh, has limited women's rights. Uh, they have almost, I mean, basically no LGBT rights. Um, Saudi agents killed Jamal Khashoggi, who is an American resident and journalist, because he was mildly critical of the Saudi government. They lured him to Turkey, murdered him, cut his body, body up in, into pieces, and got rid of it in boxes. Um, so that's what's happening. And there's, 
you know, there's a movement, you know, from the Saudi government part of this Vision 2030 plan to make Saudi Arabia look like a more progressive country and to uh, it's a it's public relations and economic plan. And WD's not the only one who's involved in in helping Saudi Arabia present this image to the world. Formula One's involved. Live Golf is owned, I believe, by the Saudi government. Yep. So, so there's a lot of what people call sports washing happening in Saudi Arabia to me. Right. Saudi Royal, like a, the, the, the Saudi government essentially purchased Newcastle United, the Premier League side, yep. um, as part of the model. Well, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. WWE is getting paid to leverage their audience, the viewers, people watching the show, as people who will witness Saudi Arabian propaganda. They're saying we have a global audience you guys put on, you know, you guys put on your show. We put over Saudi Arabia on the broadcasts, and you guys pay us for that. That's what WWE is getting paid for. They're getting paid to exploit their loyal, hardcore audience that is watching around the globe to find to see a, a show about how great Saudi Arabia is. We can go back and, and I know Brandon, you have it somewhere. Is the the video that they showed during the first event about just how progressive and great Saudi Arabia is? They've curbed that off a little bit. Um, since the Khashoggi murder, but if you watch the show and things like that, they they drop hints and stuff about how great the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is. So you as a viewer are being used as a tool that WWE is being paid for. Says, what, what, do you, Saudi what, what do you say to their response, which would be, hey, look, we're being part of the change here. If we weren't involved, the, then you know uh, it, there wouldn't be this exchange of cultures between our culture and their culture. They wouldn't wouldn't be as progressive as they are. I mean, that's such a simplistic point that I wouldn't even dignify it with a response in the sense that WWE is not moving the needle. Women's wrestling match or women wearing uh, outfits and stuff like wearing baggy T-shirts and things like that in a wrestling match is not moving the needle in any form of meaningful way. And it might be something you can say to kind of, you know, fall asleep at night knowing that you're doing that. But that, that's, that has, has nothing to do with what, why they're being paid or anything like that. And we know deep down that WWE doesn't care at all about that. But you remember remember the This Is Hope chant, though? There was a, a, a match, not in Saudi Arabia, but actually in, Saudi Arabia. in, in UAE, where there was an Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks match where people, maybe a few people at least, chanted This Is Hope, which proves. <laughs> Honestly, why doesn't Kevin Dunn have a This Is Hope button on his on his uh, uh, you know soundboard that makes crowd noises? That would be something like just during the Saudi Arabia show, he just leans <clears> on that. And all of a sudden it's 60,000 female voices saying this is hope during a Bianca Belair um, and Rhea Ripley match. Yeah, to uh, to Jesse's point, like it, it, it doesn't move the needle. I don't think anybody in regular global news media is saying like, well, WWE in Saudi Arabia, like WWE showing that Saudi Arabia is very progressive now and they're 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 It's a beautiful country. Nobody's saying that like something like the Olympics or World Cup would have to go there, I think, for that type of coverage. And even then, World Cup is going to Qatar. Yeah, e- Qatar has even then. Problems. Remember when the Olympics was in China, and and, and a lot of people like to talk about the the the, the fake like uh, you know. Uh, I'd argue that the, of things. the World Cup in Qatar is is um, highlighting the negatives of Qatar in a way that didn't exist previously. I don't think most people thought about Qatar at all before the World Cup went there. And now, what do people yep. think about 
about Qatar, they think about the essential slave labor camps that are used to build the stadium. They're thinking the thousands of people who have died that were um, brought into the to, to help construct the stadiums and, and and things like that, and the the lack of rights that people have uh, in that country. I would argue that it's a, a negative for for Qatar, um, but it's also you know global sports is not just WWE, obviously, but just whatever you want to say about world soccer or FIFA or the IOC is just incredibly corrupt. That's just how it works. Um, so WWE's transgressions don't really stand out um, from the pack. They maybe do in America, um, but not necessarily on the global scale. We have, we don't see a, there's no real American major sports company. Although you could say about UFC does have hold events in the middle East. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's just, it, you know, it goes Dana White. People go, oh, well, that's Dana White just money hungry. Like, I don't think they're like, oh, I think people say that about WWE, too. It's like, ah, it's wrestling. It's it's held to extremely low standards. So, um, you know, running these propaganda shows don't really move in, you know, that people don't take it as seriously as they probably should. And they certainly not as seriously as they would if, say, they were to move the Super Bowl to Saudi Arabia or they were to move um, the World Series to Saudi Arabia. So anyway, on that note. (laughs) <laughs> Logan Paul's Google Trends. Uh, so when, when Dave Meltzer talks about Google Trends, he looks at something that that I don't know what he's looking at. He, like I, he, I, like I'm not doubting that it's real, but he's looking at some other list that I'm that I'm. It's not something that I look at. Um, so when I look at Logan Paul's Google Trends, which you can, you can export a uh, a CSV for, this is the entire timeline from 20, 2004 and on, where he's got some massive spikes. Uh, this is on his own scale, though. This doesn't really tell me a lot. Um, if we look at the last 12 months, where, where we end up getting weekly data points, we do see a fairly big spike for him in WrestleMania time. I believe these bigger spikes back here are for his boxing fights. Um, if we look at daily data for the last 90 days, he does have a spike here on September 18th, which is, you know, just uh, last week Sunday, which would line up with the timing of the press conference. And the press conference was on Saturday. But we've got a fairly big spike here on the following day, Sunday. This might be in, like, GMT time, too, which might off, you know, shift some of the time over. In any case, he was at 75% of his 90-day maximum. His maximum within this 90-day period was SummerSlam back here, where he wrestled The Miz, right? Um, that's just to, to show that that is July 31st, the day after SummerSlam. Um so I see a, an increase in his web search here. That's almost as big as his increase in web search surrounding SummerSlam. Uh, Roman Reigns did not have a huge spike. I don't see that as particularly meaningful, but he didn't have a huge spike surrounding this press conference. Um, what does this match need to be? I don't know. It's it's a match. I don't think it's going to make this huge difference for WWE. It's going to like you know, ascend their popularity or something, but it's... Whatever it's it's a match between their biggest regular star Roman Reigns and somebody who's definitely something of a celebrity and and to whatever extent one can be a celebrity uh, in in this non monoculture that we have, but uh, it'll be something. And, and Logan Paul's done well in in terms of his athletic performance in these matches that he's had so far, so it might be okay. Um, the history of, of celebrities, we can r- run through quickly. Uh, I guess we want to talk about what's the value of, of a celebrity yeah. these days. And it's probably changed quite a bit. We can go back, of course, to there's probably earlier examples. I was sort of vaguely thinking, are there earlier examples than Mr. T? 
in WrestleMania one and Cindy Lauper helping Wendy Richter out in the mid eighties. Um, of course, at a, at a time that Jesse will not remember, there was LT at WrestleMania 11, 1995, delivering the Bulldog, defeating in the WrestleMania main event, defeating Bam Bam Bigelow. I watched that event live. I taped it on VHS and watched it back many times. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mike Tyson did not have a match, but Mike Tyson was involved in WrestleMania 14 in 1998. That coincides with the timing of a big spike in popularity for, I mean, WWF's most popular era ever uh, was kicked off with WrestleMania 14. That did involve Mike Tyson for that contributed. Uh, We can't forget in WCW, Carl Malone and, of course, Dennis Rodman being involved in, in matches in WCW. And, of course, Jay Leno applying the wrist lock, the, the arm ringer, as some call it, to Hulk Hogan. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, uh, one of the biggest accomplishments that any celebrity has ever achieved in the history of professional wrestling is when David Arquette, of course, won the WCW title. Um, so, yes, there have been many celebrity. Oh, we can't forget, in 2007, Donald Trump was involved in WrestleMania, and that was the, I think the, probably the biggest wrestling pay-per-view event ever in terms of buys i want to say without, without i believe that that is the i believe that is the record for pay-per-view buys and i believe that the rock john cena i forget if it's either the first or second is the biggest for pay-per-view revenue but i believe wrestlemania 23 is still the biggest wrestling uh event the, of all time just based on pure pay-per-view buys with the battle of the billionaires and as we learned recently and involved mm-hmm. a, a contribution to the donald trump foundation Courtesy of, of WB slash Vince McMahon slash Linda McMahon. Uh, and so then the it, was a humanitarian, it was a humanitarian show as well, in addition to drawing a big pay-per-view. We, one, one might argue that. Uh, and then in the following year, a, a match that I have, I, I remember being a pretty good match. Uh, I enjoyed it, yeah. Floyd Mayweather and The Big Show. Uh, not that that was, I mean, that was one of the bigger matches on the show, but it was not the main event. But but that was another celebrity involvement. Uh, and, and AEW has been no stranger to celebrity involvement either. And they've had Shaq have a match not that long ago where he, he teamed with Jade Cargill against, I believe, Red Velvet and Cody Rhodes. Am I remembering mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. And then on, I believe on the first episode after the end of the Wednesday Night Wars, not against NXT, Dynamite had uh, Mike Tyson on. So uh, is it... I guess we could say this. Um, in the last days of, of, of Vince McMahon, too, I was getting the sense that, especially watching last year's WrestleMania, or this year's WrestleMania, I, and the, you know, the involvement of Logan Paul and of Johnny Knoxville, and uh, there might have been other people. Bit, was Bad Bunny on WrestleMania this past year? I don't remember. No. He was at the but, Royal Rumble. Yeah, but, but anyway, it, it, yeah. It, I think I might have said at the time, too, this felt increasingly like WWE was becoming a live-action form of celebrity deathmatch. Where let's just get all these celebrities and, and, and social media stars together and then uh, put the other matches and, and storylines. I that does go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying uh, WWE's approach to it, and I, I'm glad you brought up AEW because you know we all talk about the key demographic, the 18 to 49, right? And a WWE brings in somebody like Logan Paul, they bring in somebody like Bad Bunny. Those appeal to a younger generation of people probably in that 18 to 35 so i'm aw lately right now me and tony commas have the same taste in music we love mid-2000s hip-hop but i have to say trina fabulous little scrappy jermaine dupree west side gun well no west Side Gun's a different story i want to just want those four all talented they're all on my spotify playlist big fan of them 
because they were cool in 2006. It's 2022. What are those celebrities doing for AEW? Like, what what is having Trina being involved with that doing anything to move the needle <laughs> for Demonte or Jade Cargill? Just, I'm sure Tony Khan enjoys Trina, and hey, Trina Trick Daddy, great songs. <laughs> but I just, I, I, I don't get that. I, I guess I would pose this question: Is it? I think you know. Last week, Jesse, you mentioned like the monoculture that we we don't have as much anymore as we used to have. I, I would, I might argue that it, the 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 effectiveness that a celebrity might have in a wrestling product today, just given how hard it is to become a really famous person. It, the potential is just less today than it was. Well, it's easier to become a. It's easier yeah. to become well, a famous person. It's harder to become uh, like a synonymous household name. I would add, in the sense that if we're going to go back to the Mister T days, like again, I'm very young, so I don't remember the the height of the A team and Mister T and and Rocky Three and things like that. But well, my understanding don't is that either. But yeah, but my understanding is that there really isn't anyone on television today who could be considered a comparable star to Mr. T was in 1984 in that um, we don't are like just to, you can look at tel- raw television viewership data. They, I'm sure the A team was doing what 20 to 30 million viewers a week on network television. Just it's a different world um, options. Yeah. Than what you can get today where it's simultaneously, we have more celebrities, but as part of that, the the actual individual impact and ability for for individual celebrities to stand out about the rest um, is relatively weak. And I would say that the fan perception has changed is is one part of it because we've we've got a more discerning fan here who has experienced some celebrities being jammed into places where maybe they didn't didn't belong on a wrestling product. That's part of it, and we have this. When Mr. T was involved in WrestleMania one, Mr. T was perceived in the culture as a tough guy. Like, whoa, he right. could, you know, he, no one was ass yeah, in a fight. exactly. And now we've got Bad Bunny, who you know may, may be a great musician, but doesn't doesn't look like somebody who's going to kick ass in a fight when he's standing next to Damian Priest or whoever. Um, but there's a willingness now, I think, in you know, from on the creative side of wrestling within wrestling, of like, well. It's all, you know, there, people don't, ex- we're not trying, I think there was probably more of an urge, you know, in 1985 to protect the perception of wrestling and, well, if we're going to include somebody, in a, I mean, it's got to be, yeah, okay, Mr. T makes sense, as opposed, like, they weren't having Cindy Lauper wrestle, right? And now, yeah, let's let's have, and Logan Paul looks like an athlete, sure, but Johnny Knoxville doesn't look like an athlete, it's kind of a comedy match anyway, uh, but Bad Bunny doesn't really look like an athlete, but we'll put him in the match, and he's really into it by all accounts, and he trains real hard at it, but we're not worried about, like, exposing wrestling or making wrestling look bad, I don't know how much that risk is even there, but, like, there was a mystique in the notion in 1985 of, like, What's what's Mr. T going to be like in a, in a wrestling match? And I'm not quite sure exactly what's real and what's what's fake, but I, I don't think this is completely real. But this is going to be interesting. Yeah, like could Mr. T, the television character on the A team, could he beat up Roddy Piper? Yeah, is like something that people match. really people really wanted to see. Um, I think, and there's a danger to, to Mike Tyson, and, to, and what's what's he going to do in a in a WrestleMania main event where he's right. the enforcer or whatever? To to kind of respond to, to Gallo's point about kind of AEW using maybe like more niche celebrities as opposed yeah. to someone like Logan Paul. Um, I think there's a difference in how they're being utilized. Like I don't 
like okay like is is Trina's coming out for like the tenth most important match on AEW Grand Slam and is going to be ringside for something or these rappers are gonna kind of come out in the entrance with you know the acclaimed and and Swerve and and Keith Lee it, to me that's not really um, there's like there's no real I guess like risk of of alienating people by having those people in that kind of role as opposed to putting Logan Paul in the main event of a show. And yes, Logan Paul is a bigger, much, much bigger star than those people and has much more cultural cachet, especially with younger audiences. But there's a difference between pushing someone in the, in, into like the main event realm. And now we are supposed to take Logan Paul as serious as a challenger as we should like Drew McIntyre, probably more, to be honest. I think like Logan Paul has a better chance of beating Roman Reigns than most of his opponents. Is, is Roman um, Reigns' 700-some-odd-day reign, is it all culminating with, with uh, passing the torch to Logan Paul? And I think um, part of it with WWE is funny because they'll go out and they'll get, like, the biggest celebrity. But, like, they they don't seem to understand, like, Logan Paul's appeal. They know that he's a big celebrity, but they don't necessarily know why which in part explains why he's been presented as a baby face when most people in the general public that are aware of Logan Paul would understand him as some sort of broader societal heel and that he's kind of a draw in boxing because people want to see him lose to a experienced fighter, which is... Can, can you can you briefly get us up to speed on, on why why people might not like Logan Paul the culture? I honestly don't really know. Like, he made... I remember he made, like, a... I never really followed him on YouTube. I know he was... I'm a little too old for, like, the Logan Paul generation of YouTube viewers, if you can believe it, but... Um, my understanding is that he did like a, a video where he was in like the, the famous like Japanese suicide forest and it was seen as very insensitive. I don't know. Was there like a dead body yeah. in the background or something like that? Uh, and he's wearing like but, a squid hat. Like, yeah. And he's kind of presented himself as kind of like this obnoxious, um, you know, bro-y kind of D-bag. Like, I, I don't really understand like his performance that well. I've never really watched any of his boxing matches or paid attention to his promos outside of what he's done in wrestling. But my understanding is that he's kind of seen as like this um, bad influence, you know, obnoxious uh, young personality. I'm trying to think of a, a, a equivalent of pre- from previous generations, but I'm kind of blanking. Yeah. But I almost like kind of like almost kind of like a male Kardashian in some ways. Yeah. I think there's um, maybe there's a way to use him effectively as a heel in a way that he's not being presented as currently. He's going against Roman Reigns, who's a big star heel, right? A lot of people cheer. Oh, Roman Reigns is the biggest baby face in the promotion. Again, he's a heel, but he gets a strong reaction. And, and a lot no, of well, he's he's there. I think they're aware that Roman is their biggest yeah. baby face. I know he's pre- he's presented as a heel and cheats in his matches, but I think at this point they are aware that Roman is their biggest, most popular wrestler. Um, but, but my point is that they're still presenting Logan Paul as a as a face, right? Right. And I think there's especially in in Vince McMahon's era, which is now now, now behind us. But Vince, in Vince McMahon's era, there was a lack of awareness to things like that, and. And before the, before any awareness of how people could be presented or, or perceived by by their audience, there was such a an excitement and and uh, you know sort of 
they, they were so happy to have somebody from outside mainstream culture to actually be part of their product and, and honor them with their presence, that there is sort of a pandering to anybody outside wrestling because they, thank God you're not from wrestling and maybe people will see us as something other than wrestling. Um, but well, we'll see if, if in the Triple H era that, that changes. In this instance, so far, it has not. So over the last, like, 10 years or so, um, or really, really throughout history, I mean, there's been some duds here and there, but one thing WWE has done well is, like, when a celebrity needs to wrestle a match, they do a good job preparing that person to wrestle or even identifying people who might be decent at wrestling and putting them in the ring with experienced people. And most of your celebrity matches, when the people have actually had to wrestle, especially lately, have been surprisingly good. I think the Logan Paul matches he's performed in have been quite good. I think people accept that Logan Paul is like a good athlete um, and has kind of some natural star presence and poise. The Bad Bunny matches were surprisingly very good. Um, You know, the Johnny Knoxville match was good. That was more of a comedy match and more up. Like doing physical comedy is something that Johnny Knoxville is a master of realistically. So I can see why that match did well, but they do a good job with the celebrities. And I think, I don't know if this is a Nick Khan direct influence, but it feels like it is, but they seem to become more reliant on not just having celebrities on the show and not just having a celebrity be like a manager in a match or a guest referee or something like that, but actually presenting the celebrity as a individual wrestling star in a way that they haven't really done with a lot of people before. And there have been comments made, I think both by Nick Khan and by Triple H kind of talking about um, talent developments and internal talent developments and how that relates to signing these celebrities. I think it was Triple H. I might be wrong. It might've been Nick Khan or someone else, but I'm pretty sure it was Triple H who said something like a guy like Logan Paul, who's already gotten himself over, to the masses on his own, that's someone who we want to bring in and we want to present as a big star because he's already shown the ability to get over without our star-making apparatus. So if we take that guy and put him in our system or have him, which is essentially what has happened, that's going to be like the future of our businesses. It might not just be developing guys from NXT and turning them into, into, you know, big WWE stars. It might be paying to get celebrities who kind of already have an established star value and turning them into wrestling attractions. Um, that's why I, say, I think so, that sounds very much like celebrity deathmatch. But, but you know, just to add that the NLE program is basically taking NIL, somebody yes. or uh, sorry, yeah, NIL NIL program is taking somebody with a growing celebrity presence not large scale celebrities but look at the cavender twins yeah, they had the huge people who are who have strong social media presence so, yeah. social media yeah majority of those uh, those nil sign, uh, signings are huge social media presence and now they take them and they can groom them into their but that's they're basically signing growing celebrities as well right and that the perception is in some ways a we'll sponsor these athletes so maybe they consider wwe because we want to have marketable people that fit our cosmetic version of pro wrestling, which on the male side is one thing and the female side is another thing. I think part of it with the, and they also like the idea of someone who's taken the initiative and somehow gotten over on social media on their own without WWE's involvement. Um, I, I kind of, I take the NIL as almost like kind of like a marketing scheme by WWE to convince people that they're on the cutting edge of talent development when they're not. 
Um, and it's something that they like to talk about on investors calls. And when they have interviews with the athletic talking about how the performance center is going to change pro wrestling, because now for the first time they're signing college football players and people like that, as if it's an innovative concept and not something that they've been doing for decades and have been failing at for the last 15 years. Yeah. I, I think some of that is, is the, 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 the last remnants of a, of a Vince McMahon philosophy in, in his like last year where they, swore off wrestling talent and we're only going to sign, uh, or for the most part, I know that we have Roxanne Perez and examples like that, but we're for the most part only going to sign athletes and things like that. But I, I do believe in the Paul Levesque era, they will do both probably. Um, I, I don't think they're going to swear off wrestling talent. I think he'll recruit people who have wrestling experience. Although I think the, the end of the 2010s was, the total harvesting of, of that non W and I guess non AEW talent pool. And I think we're sort of at a steady state, but that's another story. Um, well, they brought people back that they maybe wouldn't have in the past. Yeah. Uh, again, if you want to do a super chat, we will take all your questions at the end. Um, Chris Gull, have you been watching W programming lately? Uh, not as much the last one few back. weeks. Even one back. Uh, last few weeks I have not between football and I've been, uh, hitting it hard doing stand up comedy open mics during the week. So I haven't just watching highlights basically on YouTube videos lately. Jesse, I've been watching more W programming in the last, I guess the triple H era versus, versus the Vince era. I'm watching the same amount of WWE programming as I was watching before. Has it improved? I I have a, like you want to do the cage back ratings first. I kind of have a general point. Okay. Uh, so I continue to look at cage match ratings. So what I did was I I made a proprietary metric, if you will, and I did an index. Uh, This is a rolling 90-day average where I weighted the different programs based on the duration of those programs. Anyway, and what we get is, uh, and we're, oh yeah, we're comparing W and AEW side by side here, so get angry. Um, AEW is way above W still with this audience, we should keep in mind. This is, these are cage match voters. That's that. Uh, audience of people it's who, who, whoever's voting on the particular events um, and we see this is out of 10 AEW's floating in their event ratings index at around the 8.0 mark there's a lot of fluctuation but if, if I drew especially if I cut off the the very beginning which is skewed by their their first pay-per-view event, which, you know, they had very few events until Dynamite debuted. If I cut that time off, I could basically draw a, a pretty flat linear trend line across the entire timeline. For WWE, uh, it's mostly within the sixes, but I think what's most interesting about this trend is that if we look at the very end here, we do see from about WrestleMania time to the present, a really strong positive slope, so a really strong increase in this result. Still, I mean, we're approaching seven, I hear, I guess, maybe six and a half. Still well below where where AEW lives at, at seven and a half to eight, but a strong climb here. Maybe it'll continue, maybe it'll plateau, but better reception from people who are voting on cage match. Now, it's not out, well outside the range here. We can see where it's it's been pretty close to this level before. Maybe it's a little bit above this le- uh, above the level where it's been at since 2015. So it's not massively exceeding where it's been in the past, but it's doing better and it's trending positively. Um, and there's just a closer look. So what else did I have here? We can talk about the ratings, the TV ratings, that is. But do, do you want to add anything at that point, Jesse, at this point? 
No, I mean, I uh, I watched watched highlights from Raw this week, and I read a recap of Raw this week, um, and then I saw its cage match rating for for the Raw this week, and I was trying to figure pretty high. Rating. I was trying to figure out why the cage match rating was so high because to me the show seemed to be pretty mediocre and to follow a lot of the same traps that previous WWE programming under Vince McMahon would have. Um, Do you think WWE is, is having people create accounts in cage match? No, or? no, no, no. Although Triple did you notice the tri- Triple H, when he was putting over all these numbers from Clash the Castle, he put he, he mentioned something in something that was like related to perception. I don't know what, what the wording was that he used in this in this infographic. Yeah. And I and yeah. I didn't know what he could possibly be referring to except for a cage match rating. It was like the most positively received international PLE or something like that. And like, I mean, they could do internal with the cage match results. Yeah. For all I know, they're doing internal surveying and things like that. It might be cage match for sure, but I was, um, but anyway, so I, I, uh, so I, was, I read the Rari cap and I was like, okay, so why do people think that this show was so good? It strikes me as similar to, shows that would maybe in a previous generation get like five and six on cage match. Um, And so I started reading a lot of reviews of the show. I never listened to podcasts, but I was reading some written reviews of the shows and it just kind of occurred to me some of the themes that I was picking up, which the two most important ones, I think if we're talking about a change from Vince McMahon's era to Triple H's era are the first being the perception that Triple H's, letting wrestlers have longer matches and letting wrestlers who are good at wrestling be involved in those, um, which was something that Vince McMahon did not have the reputation of doing. I think that Raw had some long matches that were good during the Vince McMahon era, but that's obviously been stepped up. And Brandon, you've had that data that shows kind of the amount of time of the amount of time spent with actual wrestling matches on Raw has increased since Triple H has taken over. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah, is there's the chart that he, that you have, and you can see like on this chart that a lot of the most wrestled um, episodes of Raw and some of the most wrestled episodes of SmackDown have taken place during the Triple H era um, in the last mm-hmm. few months. Um, you can see that kind of at the top of the chart uh, in the red. You can see those are the most recent ones, and the towards the bottom end of the chart in the red, those are the. Vince McMahon era Raws. Basically, the, the, the event ratings are more positive since Triple H took over, and there's more minutes of wrestling on the wrestling shows since Triple H took over. <laughs> and so I think the, the perception of, like, there's more good wrestling on the shows um, exists, and I also think that there's a, a strong belief that Triple H is building towards stuff, that feuds are evolving, that they're going to be... They have... Um, you know, matches and feuds kind of announced for events in the upcoming weeks to kind of get people excited. It feels like there's a cohesion week to week as opposed to in the Vince McMahon era where there was often the perception that everything was the, you know, the raw script was being ripped up the the day of the show and having to be rewritten and all of these things um, that were taking place. And so it really, it, it was kind of like doing that kind of research kind of did give give me some insight into i think what wwe fans feel about the triple h version of the product and why it's being so so much better perceived than the Vince McMahon version of the product i don't know if i personally think the shows are really that much better but i think that triple h is doing a good job in um making some changes that are noticeable enough to 
all viewers that signify that the show could be trending in a positive direction. Yeah, there's there's and I wrote about this in the last financial estimate I did, but there's definitely a profile of people who are skeptical of of what WWE is doing that it's really getting better. Um, and I think that group of people are probably more likely to be more interested in AEW. Um, maybe that group of people can be won over by W with time. I, I don't know, but like, what would it take either of you to, to watch W I don't know, raw or SmackDown more regularly. And I don't know, trust that it was actually going to be a good show. I honestly don't think I will ever watch raw again, live on a regular basis. I can't imagine how good the show would have to be for me to watch it solely based on, but you do watch AEW live. Right? I do watch AEW live, but it's I, I watch Dynamite live. I do not watch Rampage live, almost never. But the three-hour commitment on Monday night um, is just too much for me at at this stage of my life. Uh, it's too hard to to have everything I want to do in the day cleared up by eight p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it, it's like if they could have you know like Wrestle Kingdom quality shows every week. And I probably wouldn't watch live. And that's solely because I've just found the three hours to be too long. Monday night's not the best night for me, like personally to have like kind of squared away. Um, so it's not, uh, I just, I honestly, like I said, like it's, it's not necessarily a knock on WWE. It just, I think just the way the, my life is structured, like I don't know if I could ever make that commitment to three hours Monday night every week it's going to look back and see that i used to do that i'm like what was i doing that's crazy now the product is in the three hour era you used to watch it regularly yeah i'm sure i did when i was in like high school and college you're in high school in the three hour era that's only been since when did the three hour hours when did the three hour hours july 2012 yeah so actually no i wouldn't have been i graduated high school a month before the three hour era kicked off (laughs) okay um you have something cool? No, I just, I mean, just for me, it's got to be something where I want to be invested in the whole show. Like, of course, there's not, not everything's going to be to my liking, but you know how, I mean, I'll, I'll bring an example. I like a lot to be a ring announcer, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, then I have to watch it. Right. Uh, I, I, I like what triple H has done. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of also elements that people have not really noticed. And now we're coming about the fact that Veer Mahan is gone. Doesn't even care about that uh, Indian uh, audience that looked like they were trying to build. Uh, he's back in NXT, um, but like, like Dominic Mysterio, I'm just, I, I just, I, I, I can't as, as, as just a casual. Fan, like, You're not fan. into Dominic Mysterio. What's with no. all this Dominic Mysterio skepticism I see out out there in, in the IWC? <laughs> My take, I think the problem with like getting people invested in Dominic, and he's been featured on the product a lot, um, and I think. The one thing that's kind of holding him back and from holding people back from kind of breaking through and investing in him is that um, he's just phenomenally untalented. And I have no idea why he's on television outside of being Ray's son. Yeah. We never got to get to know him. We did, He didn't have a run in Mexico or in the independence or in NXT what, or what in are Japan. What are you talking about? Don't, don't you remember the, the ladder match for custody? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Anyway. Yes. Go ahead. Finish. <laughs> no, I mean, I just to have I think it's interesting. It's a very interesting choice for Vince. For, I think Triple H's first real major 
kind of storyline week to week kind of progression angle that I feel like he's kind of overseeing is featuring Dominic Mysterio yeah. a lot on television. Out of and all that's the people why I in the roster, fully commit. You know? Out of all the people on the roster to look at, they picked someone who um, isn't good in the ring, has a bad look, and has no charisma. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Jesse. <laughs> I mean, um, this this is just like you can't look at the WWE roster and be like, who do I think is has potential to be a big star and should be like really elevated with this push and say, yeah, it's uh, definitely Dominic. Okay, uh, we we can say that. So I've, I have this. This table is like embedded into one of my spreadsheets where we're looking at the number of days it's been since Vince McMahon left compared to the same number of days, uh, the same last number of days of, of his reign. Right. So it's been 64 days, like at least as of yesterday, since Vince McMahon left WWE, was no longer head of creative. So what were his last 64 days like in terms of a rating? What have the 64 days been like since? Compare those to each other. Ratings are up. We can say ratings are up. We'll put that in some context in a moment. But ratings are up for SmackDown by a little bit, single digits of percent. Uh, Raw ratings are up by double digits of percent. NXT is up by double digits of percent. So NXT, I would say, I mean, it's, it's comparable between NXT and Raw. SmackDown is barely up. Maybe that'll be pushed ahead a little bit better if the rating is as good as it looks in, in the Fast Affiliate. But anyway... Um, if we if we compare that though to the same period of of, of last year, so we're comparing ba- basically the middle of May to the middle of July, to the middle of July to the middle of September. So my question is like, yes, ratings are up, but aren't rating are are is it the case that ratings are just usually up when you compare this amount of time in the calendar to e- these two amounts of time in the calendar to each other? And the answer is in fact yes, with the exception of of NXT. So in other words, yes, Raw and SmackDown last year were up over the same comparison in the calendar uh in a, in a comparable way in fact smackdown was doing better by this comparison last year nxt was not nxt would, was in the very beginning of, of the 2.0 era that was not a ratings hit um so you could say that yes ratings are up but ratings are usually up at this time of the year uh we'll see if that if that changes the smackdown did a good rating but that's just one week um we can say though that uh, this decline in the margin that W has over Dynamite has flattened. So you know it has flattened for quite a few months now, and if anything, we're seeing it grow a little bit. And it has flattened back out in the last few weeks. This is the eighteen to forty nine, by the way. Uh, Dynamite did exceed Raw in eighteen to thirty four this week, same week. Uh, but uh, we're seeing, seeing a similar pattern in 18 to 34. The margin is smaller for that younger half of the demo uh, for Raw and SmackDown. But I, th- I think this is a, a meaningful comparison in terms of like it's, it's, it's comparing Raw and SmackDown against another wrestling product that's in some ways subject to the same external effects in terms of entertainment consumption and competition. Um, it's, it's reflective of some sort of composition of, 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 the, of the wrestling market uh, and who's, who's getting what portion of the wrestling market. And I think that the story here, this is, this is a chart that we're looking at that goes back all the way to the very beginning of, of Dynamite in October 2019. And it starts out with W having a, a much wider lead than it has now, although it still has a lead in my takeaway in the last four to six months is that that lead which was which is, has been often diminishing is plateaued now for now 
for whatever that means. And then we do see some weeks where, you know, we're, we're Raw and SmackDown are below this black line here, which means that Dynamite had a higher 18 to 34 rating in those weeks. If we look at 18 to, 18 to 49, though, the entire key demo very, very rarely has it ever beaten Raw and never has it beaten SmackDown in the same week. So, uh, there's that. It's that. It's never yes. beaten SmackDown when it, it's never beaten SmackDown when SmackDown's been on Fox. Correct. Yes. This is this chart excludes any preemptions to FS1 or or any preemptions of, of Raw to Sci-Fi and and and, and any, any weeks that uh, that Dynamite was not in its regular time slot. Um, so if you want to super chat, we'll we'll answer those at the end. Um, we'll run through. We did some of this on Thursday, but we'll run run through some of the Grand Slam business. Thirteen thousand three hundred and twenty-one tickets distributed is the count for WrestleTix. That would be down from the nineteen in excess of nineteen thousand tickets distributed that WrestleTix counted last year for Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens, New York. Uh, but it is a one million dollar gate. Uh, that's according to to Tony Khan. It's also according to other people I trust. Uh, a million dollar gate, which I've uh, been parsing some Ticketmaster code. But anyway, if we get the if we assume that the average ticket price was about eighty one dollars, which would be consistent with a lot of the prices that I saw on Ticketmaster. Uh, and we assume that like 5% or a little bit more than 5% were comps. Then we end up with a paid attendance of 12,602. Multiply that by 81, and we get to the reported attendance, or I'm sorry, the reported gates that uh, was published in the Observer of 1,020,000, or we get a number that's very close to it. Um, Tony Khan also tweeting yesterday that according to the Observer, he didn't know that Grand Slam 2022 is one of less than 10 TV events in all of wrestling history with a $1 million gate. I went into the poll star data to check on this. Um, and if we're including UK events, I, I, I count at least 14 here. Um, and in fact, the, the MSG uh, SmackDown September 10th last year is probably another million dollar gate, according to Ariel Hawani. That SmackDown was the highest-grossing SmackDown ever, which presumably, I mean, he says, in any city ever, so presumably that would be in excess of any of these UK SmackDowns, which were over a million dollars. That would tell me that that, that MSG SmackDown should have been over a million dollars. But anyway, we get uh, almost all of them are UK Raws and SmackDowns that did over a million dollars when you convert the pounds to US dollars. We also have... The Raw 25 in 2018 that did over a million dollars. The Raw in Barclays Center, that was the Raw after Mania in 2019, did over a million dollar gate. Um, Again, this is according to Polestar. Polestar is a website that you can go on, and uh, it's not free, but you can get the tour info, and uh, you can get a a lot of data, and it shows you not every event ever, but it shows you, I would say, I don't know, maybe half of the events that WWE has, has done, and it tells me an attendance. I will, I will say that the, some of the WrestleMania attendances that they have reflect the, the announced WrestleMania attendances, so I don't know if they're all accurate in terms of being reflecting the paid attendance, but they do give us a gate number that I've, you know, I've, I've never seen anything to compare it against that would tell me that it's wrong, at least. Uh, but we do see, what do we have here? We have... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 
Raws and Smackdowns. If you count the MSG Smackdown last year, there'd be 15 TV events that did over a million dollar gate. Some of these in this table that we're looking at are two day events where it was a Raw and a Smackdown and they were calculated together in the same row. So I just averaged it out and it comes to, you know, we had a Raw and Smackdown, for example, in 2007 that did over $2 million total. Of course, you just divide that by two, you still get over a million dollars. There was a takeover on WrestleMania weekend in 2019 that also at at Barclays Center that did a million dollars. And if you count that as a TV event, I mean, it wasn't on cable or broadcast. It was on streaming on on the the network. I find it interesting that some of these are are quite old, that they're not necessarily all events that took place like in the last five years. Like some of these, one of these goes back to, I think, like, was it 2004? I see at the top. 2004, yeah. October 2004. When you consider the... um, like inflation, just the price of tickets today versus they were almost 20 years ago now. I'm impressed mm-hmm. that they still some uh, um, they were doing million dollar gates back then because, like uh, I know, like Dave fielded a lot of these questions on Twitter when he was talking about people wondering how much the the Nitro in this in the Georgia Dome did or some of the huge WCW crowds they did for Nitro. Those don't crack a million dollars um even despite having very very large audiences because ticket prices have have changed and obviously grand slam did significantly fewer tickets sold than they did last year but the increase in price has allowed them to actually clear more gate revenue from it right much i mean it's a lower attendance by somewhere around six thousand attendees but much higher ticket prices and then i'm sure a, a large which is kind of what WWE has done over the years in the sense that they maybe are not drawing as many people to a lot of their shows but they've increased ticket prices to an extent where they still will do huge gates um, and bigger gates than they did when they were drawing more people especially since the pandemic ticket prices are up I would say that, that that's just across the board for anything publish. yeah and so and I, I've heard people say that you know tickets were much more expensive for AEW shows um when they've returned to cities for touring than they were in the past. The tickets are more expensive for their return to Boston this time than they were last time they were in Boston. I know that for a fact. Um, and I've heard people say that across the board when they've returned, that the tickets um, on average are, seem to be much pricier than before. Yeah. The, the Polestar, so, so Polestar has W data. It also has AW data. Um, we could look at, the, look at the data in Polestar to address that specific question, but I don't have it ready. Um, but I did pull out these two highlights out of the AEW data from Polestar that, that says that double or nothing, with what CM Punk himself said was the first million-dollar gate for, for AEW uh, that, that he says Hangman Adam Page put at risk somehow. Uh, Despite all the tickets were sold by the time he said that. Yes, yes. One million, according to Polestar, double or nothing 2022 in Las Vegas – one million two hundred and fifty six thousand two hundred and seventy two million well am i saying that right two point two five six million dollars uh which is higher than i would have guessed i mean it was that that's their first million dollar gate right it's it's double or nothing uh full i'm sorry forbidden door is their second yep um the most recent pay-per-view all out is their third and then Grand Arthur Ashe Grand Slam this year would be their fourth, right? Million dollar gate. Uh, so according to Polestar, well over a million dollars. I would have th- thought it was like just over a million, but it's $256,000 over a million. Um, and I think I think their second highest gate that's in the Polestar data, like they don't have Forbidden Door in there. They don't have All Out in there. Um, but the second highest gate that's in the Polestar data is for 
the Dynamite the day after, or I guess the Wednesday after Double or Nothing, which is where MGF cuts the infamous promo in Inglewood, just outside L.A., Almost a million dollars for that event, according to Polestar. $942,000, which I thought was very surprising. So, um, The rating for this show was at .35 in the demo. 1,039,000 viewers. Um, is this a good rating, Jesse? Is this a disappointing rating? I said it was um, on the low end of expectations. I would say, for me at least... When I saw the point three five, I said, "That's a disappointing rating, but not a disaster of a rating." Still number one in the demo on Wednesday among cable originals. Um, yeah, you know it's hard. It's it's so much harder to. I think this is true for AEW, and certainly true for SmackDown. Raw, I feel like less. Um, Raw, I feel like is more predictable. I feel like with Dynamite and SmackDown, um, for whatever reason, it's it's pretty find it pretty difficult to kind of predict the ratings beforehand they a lot of times they seem almost random and what shows do particularly well and what shows what shows do particularly poorly <laughs> you, um, you can predict the, the demo rating every week on the WrestleNomics twitter account uh where we put the tweet out you can just reply to it and, and guess the demo rating and nobody like like 0.35 would be very very low from those estimates a yeah. lot of people were, were guessing you know yes. around i think 0. like three 0. there were like uh, over 100 guesses i think like three people got it right Mm-hmm. And so, um, but because, you know, the show had been doing what, like around 0.38, 0.39 last few weeks, obviously this is a much bigger dynamite from a match standpoint and, yeah. the, you know, the Grand Slam event and things like that. It's uh, much more heavily hyped dynamite than the one the week prior, which did a 0.39. Yeah, that's why the randomness, you know. But that's kind of it's it's kind of become almost like a trend in, in AEW where the the kind of the really heavily hyped promoted shows that have a big title match sometimes don't do as well as some of these other shows that feel like just kind of like you know shows that are on the road to the bigger show, um, you know SmackDown like to, to use SmackDown comparison SmackDown last week felt like it should probably be the really big rating SmackDown because that's the one that had Logan Paul and it kind of had the announcement for the Roman Reigns Logan Paul match and was supposed to draw in all these casual or or non-viewers to watch it yet it was this week's SmackDown apparently now we don't know the final rating that did just a huge number which kind of felt like kind of a run-of-the-mill regular SmackDown I guess some people think the Fiend might show might have shown up um but SmackDown, I feel like almost more kind of randomness when it comes to the rating. Raw, I feel like it's usually easy enough to tell when they're going to do a good one or they're going to do a bad one based on um, the hype around the show and what kind of what matches were promoted beforehand. Yeah, I mean, do you think certainly we saw the the second episode of Rampage do an enormous rating based on the belief that the I mean, the, the unconfirmed belief that that CM Punk would be there may, may be part of what, what drove the SmackDown rating up was the expectation that Bray Wyatt would be there. I guess that's possible. Um, that's the only thing that, that was seems a lot of buzz, like, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that seems like uh reasonable that was different from SmackDown this week than from previous weeks. Um, it would be the first time Bray, Bray Wyatt ever drew a rating, but uh, <laughs> you know, when people return, they sometimes come across as bigger stars than they were before. So I I think, too, wrestling fans have this, like, retaliation uh, concept in their head that, like, oh, well, Soraya's on Dynamite. 
oh, WWE's definitely going to bring Bray back, <laughs> you, or they're going to bring Sasha back. A little bit, mentality. I do, but 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 you, like you, you thought I, that there, there was going to be a response to Gargano it. coming back. There's got to be an AEW response. I, I did, yes, because I feel like they thought they. I don't know anything, uh, but I feel like they thought that was probably a given, and then it did not happen. Um, obviously, that might change if Triple H is on charge, but I think I think that too. I think if AEW has a big debut, fans see if WWE is going to do a similar thing, and vice versa. And AEW had a big show in general, yeah. like they had a big Grand Slam was a huge event for uh, AEW from a from a news happening standpoint, from a match quality standpoint, from crowning a new champion. So. Mm-hmm. Two hour rampage, also. Yep, two hour rampage. Um, I'll be the rampage number will be very interesting because it yeah. definitely seems to be the most one of the most important rampages that they've put I'm on. And I feel sure. like when they've, I feel like when they've tried to put some of their bigger stars on rampage and tried to put real matches on rampage, the rampage number usually reflects a little bit better than when they it's, just kind of have. It, it will have the disadvantage of going into the eleven o'clock hour. Um, I'm pretty that, sure that's though, true. That, I'm pretty sure it's going to be reported in two separate time slots, like it was last year. Though um, they, they seem to, ha- it'll probably be reported as Rampage in the ten o'clock hour, and then it'll be reported as AW Special in the eleven o'clock hour. That's what I expect. Um, but we'll be able to average them together, I suppose, and and calculate them. It leaves me with a, d- a dilemma on what to tweet on Monday afternoon. Um, but anyway, uh, we can look at the uh, the core hours briefly too. This. Um, did a very consistent quarter hour trend compared to what Dynamite usually does when you consider the Big Big Bang Theory, which I think has softened in terms of being, in terms of how strong of a, of a lead in it's, it's been giving Dynamite. I was going to say, this seems like a week, this seemed like a, when I first saw the quarter hours, this seemed like a weaker lead in than normal, um, at least yeah. from a total viewers perspective. You can see on the trend that it's pretty low uh, in total viewers from the lead in as opposed to other weeks. Yeah, I don't know what the Big Bang Theory did on, on September 21st, but Big Bang Theory has not been doing as strong ratings as it has. It's it's a weird trend, and I'll try to pull it up while we're talking here. But, like, Big Bang Theory at 7.30 did enormous ratings in the beginning of this year. Um, it, it, it's, but it, it's not just in coinciding with the debut of Dynamite. It's not as if – I wouldn't argue necessarily that, like, well, when Dynamite started – it benefited the 7.30 Big Bang Theory telecast. because right, all these people, people were people tuned in, in early. Everyone was catching those last, you know, three minutes of whatever the storyline was on Big Bang Theory. That is my main consumption of Big Bang Theory is, like, the last three minutes of episodes right before Dynamite starts. Just like how I've yeah. seen the end of The Accountant many times. But but what we see is that uh, – and I don't know if I have the, the chart still. But, like, but what we saw in November and December in the, in the two months before Dynamite moved to TBS – those ratings were growing for for the Big Bang Theory. Um, do I still have it? Uh, I, it's not easy to look at. But anyway, yeah, you'll just have to take my word for it. That in November and December, Big Bang Theory ratings grew on a consecutive basis in terms of what their average was for those months. And then it continued to grow in January, um, and it did really strong ratings, and gradually it sort of leveled off. I'm sure it's still among the most watched reruns on all of cable. But, but yeah, it's... Um, it's not. It's not as if core hour one here for Dynamite did this huge number, did like 1.2 million viewers, and then you know like lost 200,000 viewers in the, in the next this is, quarter. This is can I? This is interesting. Um, I'm going to highlight a comment. I think even though it's not a super chat, can I do that? Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't possess the ability. I, I don't have like I don't have the the higher tier of StreamYard to give two people access. Um, okay. Well, Tim, just, just read it. Yeah. 
Tim B. here. He says, I wonder if Big Bang Theory has entered bad season of the show, like how no one watches The Office season six, despite it being a huge draw as a series. That's an interesting point. I don't know if they're showing the episodes in like a linear fashion, like they were showing, they show all the episodes of season one, like the show, if, if the sitcoms when they syndicate can be, can be shown like that. Um, but that yeah. would be an interesting theory in that um, because there's so many episodes of Big Bang Theory. Earlier in the year, they were showing episodes from more generally positively received s- seasons of the show. And now we've reached maybe the kind of towards the end of the run of the show. And so the episodes themselves are less popular, similar to like if they were showing late season episodes of The Simpsons as a lead in as opposed to episodes from the first eight or nine seasons, which are generally considered to be much more popular better that could explain um difference in people viewing syndicated versions of the show yeah i I don't know how they air considering how many telecasts they have on tbs that are the big bang theory i'm curious how they're how they're it's possible they air them like on monday night they show them in a linear fashion and other nights they just kind of spam them out there i I don't know but they i remember back in the day the bad walker texas rangers right before raw because uh, that that show got really bad towards the end of it Uh, Right, I never really thought about that, but it makes sense, right? Because you just accept when a show is being syndicated that there are fans of the show that are watching it on syndicated. But obviously fans have certain, you know, views on really long-running shows, which most syndicated shows by their nature are, that there are ones that are going to appeal more to to them than other. I'm not a big enough Big Bang Theory fan to know if there's like, oh, like, you know, the first six seasons are gold, and then after that it's more hit or miss. Um, In in the quarter hours... I'm starting to become more comfortable with this way of mathematically analyzing the quarter hours where we, where we say anything that did over five percentage points better than the four-week trend, we'll highlight with a bright green uh, box. And we see the, the swerve in our glory versus the acclaimed tag title match did particularly well by that analysis. The four-way women's title match with Tony Storm, Serena Deeb, Athena, Britt Baker did quite well by that analysis. Um, the the top of the hour with Pack and Orange Cassidy did not. It also contained a picture picture ad and a traditional ad break, so maybe that was a factor. Um, anyway, um, the demos that were up for Dynamite this week, especially eighteen to thirty four women, was up by thirty six percent. That was people the, love Trina. That was that is that is also the smallest demographic. So maybe it's just more artificially volatile. Although I, I suspect mm-hmm. there's some. At least some uh, real movement there. Um, Yeah. A a lot of younger viewers, um, I I think I might have said this on Thursday, when we see a heavily hyped uh, TV show, a particular episode like this Grand Slam episode, I think what we see a lot is that the younger audience responds who are more selective and maybe only checking out or more more likely to check out the, the heavily hyped episodes. But, yeah. I think that's all I have. We could do super chats. All right. So, yeah, we have Tim B. Uh, Brandon, when you estimate a four times increase for AEW, is that solely for TV or do you think they can get more for a whole package of pay per view archives to bring them on? Or? That's solely based on Dynamite and Rampage. Um, I don't know that. That's a good question. I think there's there's complexity in these rights that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about in, in terms of what what you mentioned here, the, the the library, which isn't particularly big compared to WWE, but there's the library, 
Ring of Honor. I'm not. I don't really believe that Ring of Honor is that valuable because it's just unproven. What can it do? It, there's there's no track record for it. It's certainly a secondary brand compared to the AEW brand. Um, what what would it? If you put it on TNT or TBS in a comparable time slot to Dynamite or Rampage, what viewership would it do? It certainly do lower viewership than either of those shows do. Um, just like I don't think that NXT is that valuable in terms of because where does it rank? It is doing better lately. And like we we were looking at the ratings, the the deltas on the ratings, and NXT is doing better, and it is ranking more highly. So maybe there's a better there's there's a better argument for NXT being more valuable if it ranks more highly. But I don't think there's that much value, and there's certainly no proven track record for Ring of Honor unless we're looking at Sinclair data, and I don't think the Sinclair data would be would be it would provide a strong argument either. Um, but I think that's three to five acts based on what Dynamite and Rampage are able to deliver in their three hours in the in the demo, and and, and in total viewership. I sort of took the middle. Um, yes, but there's also I guess we could talk about you know is there, is there Spanish language rights that they could deal? Are there next day rights that? No one's providing. I, sp- I, I imagine someone owns them, but nobody's distributing them. That those could be monetized also. Maybe that's something that ends up going to DAZN or something like that someday. Who knows? Or, or HBO Max or just Discovery Max or whatever it's going to be called. All right. And then uh, just uh, Joseph Carino, thank you. Just saying, just saying I always look forward to Sunday WrestleNomics. Well, thank you, Joseph. Thanks. And that's all we got. Uh, that's it? Today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, gonna plug anything, Jesse? Uh, not much. I mean, the article that I wrote on WrestleNomics that's up right now on the website. I wrote about. I made you a slide. Look at this. I know. Look at look at all this. I got my Twitter handle and my podcast on it. We um, the but the article on WrestleNomics I wrote about uh, it's about you know kind of the Logan Paul and Roman Reigns decision for that match to be taking place in Saudi Arabia and kind of the larger impact kind of that has had on WWE's booking practices and kind of works on a, a note that Dave Meltzer said that the reason Drew McIntyre couldn't win the title at Clash of the Castles because they have to save this Roman Reigns Logan Paul match for Saudi Arabia and kind of how that illustrates where WWE's priority priorities are when it comes to who they're booking their shows for which is not always the casual regular wrestling or, fan more where, like where does Crown people- Prince Muhammad bin Salman rank in, in the best booker voting for the Observer Awards <laughs> Uh, MBS, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this Logan. If, hey, look, if this Logan Paul Roman Reigns match is a five star classic, yeah. um, then then maybe we, he should start being considered for it if he's the Booker, yeah. um, or the or the Saudi Minister of Support or whoever is the the point man for this. Um, someone said, like, I wish. Uh, imagine if like MBS was like an all a nineties all Japan mark, and that's what he really wanted to see in all of his wrestling. Um, but yeah, people can check that out on WrestleNomics. You can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collings. Um, Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast on YouTube. Haven't had a new episode in a couple weeks, but we'll have a new episode this week. I'm pretty certain of that. Um, just trying to finalize one thing. I've been talking to uh, somebody who is a wrestling media figure that um, also we we have kind of the same job. We work for the same company. So it'd be interesting to compare and contrast our experiences in newsroom media uh, with our experiences working in wrestling media. So that will be coming up. I think this week on the gentleman's wrestling podcast. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can find me, Chris Gullo, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, rediscovering Indies, my podcast, which, uh, 
We'll be a little delayed on our part three of Dragon Gate because my co-host is in Japan right now, uh, producing the GCW shows over there. So, uh, but we'll be uh, we'll be back uh, probably we'll record next week. Um, and yeah, to get, and get a get a Bowtie Mafia shirt. It's football season, and it could be a, a late birthday gift. Buy, buy a T-shirt. <laughs> And you get the TV ratings reports. We've got quarter hours for everything for the past week, month of all, you know, since most of the quarter hours for this calendar year are are on the Patreon, uh, as well as access to the wrestling viewership spreadsheet, the slides of this podcast and all of our other podcasts and the pro wrestling industry reports um, and anything else that we put out on the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash WrestleMox for just $5 a month. Uh, do you want to mention that? Chris Ely, who's also a contributor for WrestleNomics, the latest NWA podcast is out there as part of the, the post-wrestling YouTube and in their podcast feeds. Consequences and repercussions. So check that out. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. Hit the thumbs up, share, like, subscribe, all that stuff. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.